The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com All right, so Colossians chapter 2. We're just getting into Colossians chapter 2. This is probably going to be a two-parter because just in these verses, verses 1 to 5, there's so much. And, And one of the things I'm starting to kind of uh, feel a little bit convicted with is I, I, I'm, like, I'm not like the type that um, likes to stay in books very long. You know, I, you know there's, there's guys that, that see it as some kind of pious uh, badge of honor that it took them eight years to get through the book of Romans. I, I, I don't see it as, as honor. I don't know if it's because I have ADD or whatever it is, but I, I just can't stay in the books. But the conviction is, is that sometimes I feel like I'm pushing through the book a little too fast. And because of that, I'm skipping over things that we probably should uh, be talking about. And that's the thing uh, with Colossians that I'm finding. And I know that we're going a little slower through the book of Colossians. But the book of Colossians has so much in it. Uh, So much more than I think that we would notice at first. Uh, Understanding the culture in Colossae and all that stuff really kind of puts the setting in today. I mean, if there's one book that I think is very timely, it's the book of Colossians. Because what Paul was dealing with in Colossae is pretty much what we're dealing with in our culture today. Um, and and it's, just, it's just important that we, that we get this. So I don't want to push through. So we'll probably be in verses 1 through 5 uh, this week and probably next week. And then we'll push on. Uh, really quick to set this all up. There was a guy. His name was Neil. He was a lovable, lovable character. Uh, everyone loved him in this town, but he was considered by many in this town to be quite simple-minded, okay? And so time after time, people in the small village would actually come up to him and offer him a choice between a dime and a nickel. You can have one, a dime and a nickel, and he would always take the larger coin, and everybody got a kick out of this. And they thought, they thought this was just so funny because he was simple-minded and, you know, gave him the, the choice, and he always picked the larger coin. Finally, a bystander. He just could not bear this mockery any longer. And he went up to Neil, and he said, Don't let these people fool you any longer. The nickel may be larger, but the dime is worth twice as much. And Neil whispered to him, I know that. But if I start taking the dimes, they'll stop offering me money. (laughs) Knowledge is a treasure today as much as it was a treasure back in the Apostle Paul's day. Wisdom is a treasure today as much as it was a treasure back in the Apostle Paul's day. But as with many things of overall value, the sad thing is, even though it's seen as being valuable, it's seen as treasure, seems as important, what's funny is knowledge and wisdom just isn't really sought out like it used to be today. Many will see the value of knowledge and wisdom, but we're not going to do all that it takes for us To get it. In many ways, we struggle with this because what knowledge, this is just just what I'm thinking, I'm musing a little bit here. 
knowledge and wisdom, what it communicates to us today is really opposite of what we want today, right? I mean, when you, you, you hear people give, the, you know, hey, man, hit me with some knowledge. They hit you with the knowledge, and all you want to do is hit them back. Give me some wisdom. Shane, what do I need to do to be wise? Well, you need to read the Bible. What else do I need to do to be wise? There's got to be another way. Or at least can you point me to a good movie so I can get the Bible done in two hours instead of two weeks? It's, it's really funny today how we treat knowledge and wisdom. It's really interesting. I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of this is... Um, Maybe some of it might be because we have access to the Internet and we just have a wealth of knowledge at our fingertips. So we don't need to pursue knowledge anymore because all we got to do is Google it. And we're good. All right. But I don't want to go down that road because it's devastating to my sermon. So let's go back to the idea that we just don't want it anymore. See, the thing is, is that it communicates the opposite of what we are really looking for. If we're looking for success, a lot of time wisdom will come in there and will mess up all the ideologies and methods in order to gain success. And we don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear none of that stuff. Because the reality is, in our culture today, words on a page are not worth more than a pot of gold. The Lord will say that wisdom is way more valuable than gold. But we don't believe it. I mean, seriously. We don't believe it. Yeah, we just, we, we can't help but see the ultimate value of what knowledge and wisdom gives. But you know what? Maybe when I'm older and all my youthful lusts are gone, then maybe I'll start digging for the treasure of wisdom. And I, and I, and I hear this a lot, you know, and, and, and I see this a lot. And some of my older, uh, older friends who are, who are Christians, you know, that we've all, you know, a lot of us have said that, you know, hey, you know what, what I want to do right now while I'm young is I want to live life to its fullest. I want to do whatever I need to do in order to be happy. And then when I get old, then I'll start looking for God. Then I'll get my life straight just to make sure I get into heaven. But what I'm finding out from talking to my older friends, you know, who have, you know, you know one of my friends just became, a, a, officially became a senior citizen. And we were talking about this. And, and I just said, so remember back then when we were young and we said, hey, you know, we'll get our lives straight when we become senior citizens when we get older? He goes, yeah. I said, has it? No. <laughs> but is it really just our youthful lusts that keep us away from knowledge and wisdom? Is it, is it really that that keeps knowledge and wisdom at bay while it's calling out to us every day? I mean, there is one thing clear that, um, and, and, and let's, let's, let's talk about this just a little bit here. So there's, if there's one thing clear that we see in church history, not just in church history, but in world history, if you just look throughout history, there is one thing clear, especially we see it dealt with in all sorts of different political philosophy that you would read throughout all of history. One very common and constant thing when it comes to people who want ultimate power and control 
If you want power and control over a people, there is one constant thing that we see throughout all of history. The dumber the people are, the easier they are to control. Seriously. That's what you see. Constant. The dumbing down of a society, the dumbing down of a culture, gives you so much more control. One very common and constant thing. See, family, this is the kind of stuff that's going to get your pastor shot. This is, this is those who are in power, dumbing down. I mean, if you really, really think about it, when you look at our culture and you look at, you know, our society, we're dumbing down the people. I mean, seriously. I mean, just think of what we learned in high school, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, compared to what's happening today. I mean, back, back in the 50s, people could read the King James Bible <laughs> and actually make sense of it. And the words that the King James Bible used is like, oh, yeah, I remember that from my vocabulary test. Remember, we used to have to take vocabulary tests. You had to learn all these words that you never use. And then so when you get older, you just use them just because you feel like you got to get your money's worth, you know, just because. And now it's like I'm talking to some people and like they, they don't have no vocabulary tests. Matter of fact, instead of teaching people how to speak better, we're just using what they speak and we just call it a language. The dumbing down of society just makes us more controllable so that we become more gullible. And when we become more gullible, we start to fall for anything. And we believe anything. The less wisdom we have in our hands, the more we can also be led to destruction. So let's just say it's not even control. You realize that there are a bunch of people in our world, smart people in our world, who actually feel like there is a population crisis, and we're going to have even more of a population crisis as time goes on. What is the best way to kill people off? Dumb them down so in their own foolishness they destroy themselves. Destroy yourselves. One of the best ways, again, to have population control so that the weaker human race can be disposed of so that we can then move to the next level of evolution. Ignorance and foolishness is what they need because if they have it, they will destroy themselves. Teach them that ignorance is bliss and in that bliss, they will destroy themselves. Yeah, they're going to destroy themselves. Yeah, they're going to die, but they're going to die happy. And guess what? That's how we're going to solve the traffic in Denver. We don't have to build more roads. We just have to have less people. Oh, it's funny, but there are people that are saying stuff like this. Because Proverbs 14.12 says, Proverbs 14.12, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. See, we in the church, we tend to believe, we tend to believe that it's the demons and the devil that are directly tempting us to our destruction. And sure, that, that, that's taking place. But if we open our eyes just a little bit more, we will see 
that it is the evil in this world and the evil in the hearts of mankind by those who seek to gain control, who are leading many to utter ruin. The world desires to take from us. The world desires people to get out of the way. Too many consumers, too many people consuming food. If we, if we don't stop this stuff, we're going to run out of food, and we're not going to be able to do this, so we've got to get rid of the consumers. There are too many breathing the fresh air. There's fresh air in this world, and there's just millions of people breathing it, and they don't need to be breathing it. They're just breathing up and sucking up all the air. There's not going to be many much left for the, most, for the, the best of us. They're making things more difficult. And family, this is even happening in the church. And this is where we just cannot deny this stuff. We have to open our minds. This is actually happening in the church. Many urge people and even lead people to have disdain for doctrine. If there's one thing that I'm seeing that's becoming more and more consistent in modern evangelicalism is a disdain for doctrine. I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had with people who are just like, oh, doctrine again, Shane. Oh, theology again, Shane. What do we need theology? I'm not about theology. I'm about a relationship. Why can't we just have a relationship? Well, do you know who you're having a relationship with? Yes. Who is it? Then you start telling me who it is. And you know what you're doing? Doctrine. It's amazing. It's, there's so much disdain for it. You, you have it. You can't get away from it. It doesn't matter. You say, oh, I'm not into the theology stuff. Well, do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Yeah. Can you tell me why? And everything that you say is theology. It's all doctrine. Everything. The issue today is not whether you have doctrine or not. It's whether it's good or it's bad. And the disdain for this comes... Because those who can dumb this down have no accountability for what it is that they say. And at that point, they can say anything they want, convince you of everything they want, tell you that in order for you to get it, you have to give an offering to the ministry. And the next thing you know, I got alligator skin shoes. Come on. This is what's happening. The Bible says this is what was going to happen. They're going to peddle religion because they see it as a means of gaining a lot of wealth. And family, in Christianity, can you gain a lot of wealth? Oh, yeah, you better believe you can. You better believe you can. It was just, this is one thing that's documented I was watching, and they were talking, I brought up alligator shoes. But, dude, that's nothing compared to what some of the, there's like this one website that is, talks about the, the, the shoes that preachers it's just they're dedicated for preachers and their shoes. And they're talking about these shoes. And guys, I'm telling you, they're saying that, yeah, we saw the shoes that this particular pastor is wearing, and we went and found out what it was. And they're talking like eight to ten thousand dollars for shoes. <laughs> you know, like like if you're gonna spend seven thousand dollars on shoes, that's okay. But ten thousand dollars? I'm 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 kidding. I'm kidding. You know, you got to make room for the alligator shoes, right? Uh, guys, it, it, so, so we see, so th there can be. But the thing is, is that if we are filled and we have done our duty filled with knowledge and wisdom, especially when it comes to the things of Christianity, then when they say things, like if you don't give me $100 and you die tomorrow, you're going to go to hell, they wouldn't get away with it. But man, the dumber I can make people, 
the more I can convince them of anything. And in that, I have control. In that, I can lead. The more ignorant we are, the easier it is for us to convince us of anything. I mean, come on, Shane. Is that for real? Are they really doing that? Oh, yeah. How bad is it? It's really bad. Did you know that there's a popular Bible college in California that offers degrees in raising people from the dead? And my understanding is it hits capacity every single year. Get a degree in raising people from the dead. And you spend thousands and thousands of dollars per credit hour in order to go to this school. You know what I thought was really interesting? The first question I ask is, wow, interesting. The people that are teaching the class, the professors, yeah, how many of those people have they actually raised from the dead? They'll come right out and say it, zero. So you're going to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to learn how to do something that teachers have never done. Do you see how simple this is? Has it gotten that bad? Have we become so ignorant and so lost that we've forgotten this whole test when it comes to these kinds of things? Number one, theologically, there's huge problems with this. Number two, the potentiality, right? God even says, hey, prophets prophesy. You know, if they prophesy and the theology's bad, then you dismiss them. But here's, here's another way easier one. If they prophesy and it doesn't come to pass, <laughs> then they're not prophets. If they're praying for people and raise them from the dead and they're still dead, guess what? Where, 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 where have we lost this? Why have we become so ignorant when it comes to this? But Shane, I just, I just wonder, is it really because we just don't know better? Or maybe is it because we don't want to know better? So much so that we're willing to believe anything. The scriptures desire for us to know better. Did you know that? The Bible, God wants us to know better. And he has given us so much. He has given us the tools to know better, and with, to give us wisdom to walk through life better. As Christians, we are supposed to know better. We're supposed to. We're commanded to know better. We gotta know better. So let's take a look at it today. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea. Whoa, Laodicea. Hmm. And for many other believers who have, never, who have never met me personally, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I'm telling you this, so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We pray that it continues to be a light for us, a light to follow, and we pray that it will truly accomplish its purpose. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so the first thing, 
the first thing we're going to look at is the clear truth that all the wisdom and knowledge that we need for life and godliness is found in Christ and in Christ alone. The second thing we're going to look at, and the second and last thing, is that there are many in this world who want to deceive us. And it is the knowledge and wisdom found in Christ that will ultimately keep us. So our thesis statement today is this. Though sin and the pattern of this world and the false teachers cause us to lose sight of the complete sufficiency of Christ, it is the truth of Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to grow in knowledge and wisdom that's needed for life and godliness and is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Colossians is very much in Christ and in Christ alone. Very much so. So point number one, wisdom and knowledge. So we see Paul and Timothy here writing to the Colossians, and they're helping us to see more and more in this grand theme of the, of the scriptures of here, this book, the sufficiency and supremacy of Christ and Christ alone. So remember again that the false teachers in Colossae were undermining the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, which is absolutely what's happening in our world today. See, they're not throwing Christ out completely. They're not saying, hey, you know what? Throw out Christ, we got something better. They're not doing that. Yeah, Christ is important, but Christ is a part of, of the fullness of the life that we desire for you to have. Teaching that Christ is important, but he's not the most important, and he is not all that you need. And, and, and there's so much in our world today that's undermining that. They're not saying that, oh, Jesus is just a false teacher. You just got to throw him out. No, they're not saying that. But what they're doing is they're diminishing his sufficiency. So when I say that Jesus is all you need, they're like, nah, I don't know about that. I don't think that Jesus is all you need. And we're going to talk about why people are saying that and why we feel that. But see, especially in this time, in this era, there were influences from a wide array of what we would refer to as Gnostic teachers who would assert the primacy and the fullness of what knowledge and wisdom can bring. So that was the goal. Their goal was to fill themselves with knowledge and to fill themselves with wisdom. But here's the thing. What they were saying is that it's not just found in Christ. Yeah, you'll get some in Christ, but it's not just found in Christ. There are other things that we need to implement. It's the syncretism that we saw back then with the Gnostic teachers. Now, do we, do we uh, see the syncretism today? Oh, yeah. What do I mean by syncretism? Well, have you heard people say stuff like this? Like, I believe that Jesus is a way to God, but I don't think Jesus is the only way to God. I mean, we have evangelical teachers who are actually saying that you can believe in Christ, believe that Jesus is Lord, and be a practicing Buddhist and still go to heaven. You know, we see the bumper sticker, right? Coexist. It's a, a syncretism that's happening, right? Because we're saying, hey, you know, Christianity, that's your thing. But that this, because it's your thing doesn't make his thing wrong. We have to make room for his thing. And then we have to make room for her thing. And, and everybody gets along. And everybody, we, we get along. And every, everything, you know, because ultimately the real goal in life is for us to be unified as the, human, as the human species, right? Have you heard this before? The unity? Now we got to be united. You know what's really interesting about this stuff? Is that unity, 
is not a category, especially you find that in Scripture. Well, what do you mean by unity? We are not to be united for the sake of unity. Did you know that? See, I think in our culture today, it's, it's we got to be united. And unite, being unity is the main thing. So whatever it takes for us to be united, that's what it is that we need to do. we got to unite the human race. we got to be united. We can't, have, we can't do anything that's going to divide us at all, right? Because united we stand, divided we. So you can't have division, so we got to be accepting. If we're Christianity, we got to be accepting to Buddhists. we got to be accepting to Islam. we got to be accepting to Mormonism. we got to be accepting because we got to be united. we got to be united together. That's not a message that we get from Scripture. Christians who believe that Jesus is the only way should be united. The goal is not unity. The goal is Christ, and we reunite under that goal. You see? This is the wisdom and knowledge that we're getting from the world that's making its way into the church. So when we sit back and say, hey, I'm not being deceived by the world. The world's not deceiving me with well-crafted arguments. We're seeing it. And it's pretty clear. They knew the way. Here's the other thing. They knew the way to get the, the knowledge. All the stuff, the fullness of life, the Gnostic teachers are saying, I know the way. I'm going to show you. I'll teach you the way to the fullness. Uh, then they sound like the commercials that we see late night when, you know, you can't sleep and you're watching these infomercials come in and being like, this guy knows the way. He does. And, you know, he just, I just you know, I know that his whole series costs $10,000, but it's just a drop in the bucket compared to the fullness of life you're going to have after you go through it. He's the best. He's the, he, knows, he knows the way. And the, the Gnostics are saying, we know how to find this wisdom. We know how to find this knowledge. And this is what they were telling the people in the church in Colossae. This was their message. We know the secrets of life. How many books do we see with this kind of stuff? Well, here's the secret keys to the kingdom. Here's the secrets to having divine success. The secrets is the stuff. These aren't secrets. <laughs> let's share with I'm going to share with you the secret of my success you know and, and there's a ton there's a ton of this stuff for pastors it's, it's a, it's, there's, there's a ton because I, I get the emails for this stuff all the time the ton of this stuff for pastors from pastors that are quote unquote successful let me show you what I did in order to be the successful fan. let me share with you the secrets that I have learned over, this, over time Get my series, 500 bucks, by the way, series. And I'm going to show you what I have done. You know, I didn't spend 500 bucks, but I got a couple of those things <laughs> and to listen to. Not because, not well, I mean, I guess a part of me was kind of curious, but I'm just curious what these secrets would be because I want to know what, what God has hidden in Scripture that you figured out <laughs> that was, has been absent from the, the church for 2,000 years, apparently. And, and, you know, and it's, and it's the same stuff, you know, same stuff that, the same stuff that doesn't, you know, doesn't really do anything, doesn't fade anything. It's just nothing but compromise, you know. But anyway, so you go through this stuff, and it's, and it's the secrets. Let's just share with you the secrets of, of my success. Let me show you all of these types of things. And all it does, every time I hear stuff like this, it always reminds me of what the Gnostic teachers were doing at that time. 
You know, I'm sure we could probably learn a thing or two from some of these guys of how to peddle their product. But Paul and Timothy stops it all right there. And what they are doing and what they're saying, we got to get. We got to, got to, got to, got to get this. We got to hear this today. So let's hear it actually from Dr. Doug Moo. He says it the best here, I think. Christ is the one in whom is found all that one needs in order to understand spiritual reality and to lead a pleasing life to God. Christ is all that we need. If that's our goal, spiritual reality, life pleasing to God, a life of godliness, a life of holiness, life of faithfulness. If that's our goal, Christ is all we need. The catch is, is that our goal? Seriously, is that our goal? See, there is no other treasury of knowledge and no other treasure of wisdom. The Colossians need not, they must not, they cannot look for any source of happiness or holiness in any place outside of Christ. This is not possible. And to show it even more, what, uh, what they're communicating, what Paul and Timothy are communicating, is we don't see that neither in man, nor in angel, nor in any philosophy, nor in any product or any method or any creature in this world and universe has anything at all to offer us which absolutely cannot be found in incomparably superior essence and infinite degree than what we can find in Christ. Yeah, sure, they may be able to give us a little bit of wisdom, but it's not going to be anywhere close to the wisdom that we find in Christ and in Christ alone. Even if you get some of it, it will pale in comparison to Christ. So the couplet that we see here, wisdom and knowledge, it's comprehensive, it's complete, and we understand knowledge as being simply, let's just make knowledge really simple, it's just information or data, Okay, getting information, getting data. And, and we understand wisdom, real simple, just the, uh, the way to rightly apply that data to life. Right? Simple. The data and how we use data in life. Knowledge and wisdom. Simple. A way to use the most effective means from the knowledge we have to achieve the highest goal. And if, that, and if that's the case, if our goal is faithfulness to God, if our goal is holiness to God, if our, if our goal is to be pleasing to God, to God, if that's the case, then it's super simple, right? When it comes to the purpose in life, the only thing that matter is pretty clear to us, right? If that's our goal, to say, hey, my only purpose here on earth is to glorify God. If that's it, then I think, family, it's pretty simple. It is right there. If we are Christians today, then it should be absolutely clear. Our purpose of life is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The only thing that matters in this world is to fear God and to keep his commandments. That's what we've learned. If that's the purpose and that's the highest goal in life, then there's only one thing in this world that can tell us what can actually accomplish this. Only one person can tell us what it is to, that, will bring glory, that will bring him glory. There's only one person that can tell us what his commandments are. It's God, only one. And if we really believe that glorifying God is our only purpose in life here on earth, then would we not agree that the scriptures give us more than enough for life and godliness? Yeah. The problem is, here's the problem. 
we don't think that's our only purpose. It's just simple logic, just simple logic, just simple deduction. If we're out looking for more than the Bible is giving, then we're probably out looking because we have a purpose that's different from what the Bible tells us our purpose should be. Simple. If we're out looking, it's because the Bible's not enough. But if our goal was glorifying God, enjoying him, following his commandments, fearing him, then the Bible's got a ton of stuff. We'll never run out of stuff. But the issue is, is we want something more. We want something outside. The Bible doesn't give us the answers for how to better sin in our sinfulness, does it? The Bible doesn't give us the answers for self-sufficiency. It doesn't give me the answers for how to be better when it comes to my self-centeredness. The lusts of the flesh and the worldly pleasures that fulfill self rather than glorify God, the Bible's not that good in giving me advice on that. See the point? This is why our tendency is to look for knowledge and wisdom apart from the scriptures. Because in the end, we don't want wisdom. We want rubies. Proverbs 8, verse 11. Proverbs 8, verse 11. For wisdom is far more valuable than rubies. Not just a little bit more valuable. Far more valuable than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with it. But I, I gave this example before. We would bowl over walls. We will blow things up to get rubies. But yet the entire book of the Proverbs sits on our coffee table collecting dust. We've got to remain committed to acquiring knowledge and wisdom from Christ and from Christ alone. He is where wisdom is hidden. Apocryphos, Greek word, right? Hidden. But it's not to remain uncovered. But wisdom is something that we're supposed to be searching for. To gain it. To find it. To search for it. You know, it's just like if I buried, if I buried the last, you know, book of the Proverbs somewhere, I just wonder, like, how many, and I said, hey, I got the book of the Proverbs buried somewhere, and I got a gigantic pot of gold buried somewhere. I got a map for the gold, and I got a map for the book of Proverbs. I'll give it to the highest bidder. How, how, how well do you think Proverbs goes on eBay? <laughs> you see my point? One of the most, uh, uh, the thing that we see, because wisdom is something that we got to search for, something we got to seek after, something we got to make an effort, we got to dig it up, we got to work for it. And, and it's true, wisdom is something that you got to work for. It's hidden. That's the, the whole illustration of this. You got to dig for it, you got to go get it. So, um, so we normally, at, in our family at dinner time, we'll read the Proverbs. And we've been doing that for years now. But what we started doing just this, I don't know, past couple months, I think. I don't even know if it's been a month yet. Maybe a month. We start doing the memorization game. How long has that been? Maybe a month. We start doing a, a month maybe. We, the memorization game. So uh, we read the, the chapter in Proverbs, 
And then at the end, we go around the table, and then we've got to we got to say one of the proverbs that we got from what we heard. And then the rule is, and I don't know why I made up this rule. This is absolutely unfair, and I totally messed myself up with this. I came up with the dumbest rule. The youngest goes first. The oldest goes last. <laughs> and you can't say a proverb that they already said. So if you got a proverb memorized and they say it, <laughs> game over. I need, we need to flip this. I'm the one that's got a deteriorating brain. Your guys' brain is still growing. Um, so let me tell you guys, it's not easy. Amen. It is not easy. It's almost like you feel like there's something that just is blocking it. Like Proverbs is coming, and instead of going, oh, get in the brain, oh, get in the brain, there's like something that's blocking it. And you're trying to get rid of that block, and it's just blocked. It's just a real struggle. And I'm just like, wow, it is work. Getting, getting these things, it's hard, but worth it when it gets through. We got to work for it. Got to work for wisdom. We got to find wisdom. But you know what's amazing, too, when it comes to wisdom? Yeah, you got to work for it. You got to work to get it. But number two, did you know that it's also given? Absolutely amazing that it's given. What do you mean by given? Well, James chapter 1, verse 5. James chapter 1, verse 5. We know this passage of scripture. If any of you needs wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, what are we supposed to do? Got to ask God. Ask our generous God, and he will give it to you, and he will not rebuke you for asking for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. God will give it to you. Ask it. This is one of the most important passages of scripture in my life. Ever since I was in high school in the 90s, um, I can't believe that, high school, 90s. Um, I've always, there, there's just something about this passage of scripture that really ministered to me and really hit me. And so ever since then, uh, for the most part, pretty much my whole life since high school, I would end my prayers asking God for knowledge and wisdom. It was always, I'd pray, God, please help this individual, help so-and-so find a girlfriend, you know, all this stuff. But then at every single time, I would end my prayers, more so even than in Jesus' name. It was always, and Lord, please give us knowledge and wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. And for years, every day, I was praying for knowledge and wisdom. Praying for knowledge and wisdom. And this is why. This is why I think this is just really important. Knowledge and wisdom every day when I pray. And do you know that when I went into the ministry, and I went into the ministry way too young. My, I, you know, my in-laws are here. They can tell you. I went into the ministry way too young. You know, Steve went into the ministry way too young. We were all way too young when we got into the ministry. I mean, I started preaching as a minister. I was 19 years old when I started preaching and was, you know, a pastoral intern at the time, counseling people who were having marital problems. <laughs> right? Right? The pastor's too busy, so you got to give it to the interns. And here I am, 19 years old. They're talking to me about marital problems and, like, deep marital problems, and I'm like, that's what happens when you get married? <laughs> she does what? She tells you to do what with the toilet seat? I mean, you just, it's, it was shocking. But see, here's the thing. This is the reason why I say this. I went into the ministry way too young. But if there was one consistent thing that I heard from people, they're all the churches when I was really young in ministry, if there was one thing that I heard, is like, man, Shane, you are really young, 
But they always said this, but you're really wise for your age. Really wise for your age. Now, I, since seminary, I stopped saying that. So that's the reason why I'm making a lot of mistakes right now. And those of you are like, well, what happened, Shane? Yeah, that's why. I don't know why. I, I'm putting it back into my prayer now, but I just realized that, like, I think ever since seminary or even, I can't remember when I stopped doing it, but at some point I stopped doing it, and I just, I, you know, I got to get back to it. But, and, and that's the thing, and people are just like, how, co how come you're so wise? Where do you get all this wisdom from? And I remember just saying, I don't know. I, I really don't know. But let me tell you something. I ask, I pray for wisdom every single day. Well, if the Bible tells us that if we lack wisdom, our generous God is going to give it, right? And that's what he does. Wisdom, family, it's important for us today. This is why for the last couple of years, I'm pushing the book of Proverbs on you. I'm telling you guys to read the book of Proverbs. I'm pushing this like a drug dealer pushes crack. Book of Proverbs, there is way too much confusion, way too much lying going around today. Ethics are being challenged on a daily basis. Our worldviews are being shaken. Our ideals and values are changing at an exponential rate. And so much so that, is, that should be foundational to us are being ripped away from us like our feet under a rug. Everything is falling down. All of this stuff is happening. And family, as Christians, we are commanded to know better. We got to know where we stand. We got to know what we believe. Why is this gender thing that's happening in our world, why is this confusing for the church today? I, I, does, does it not blow your minds? Why are we confused with this? God created man. Male and female, he created them. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's something different in your Hebrew text, but I looked at the Hebrew text. I do not find non-binary in there at all. Why are we confused with this? Why the confusion? Why are we being challenged with this so much? That See, this is why we need clear divine wisdom to know where we're supposed to walk in life. Have we to be clear? We are to be clear, so we actually do have a biblical worldview. And, and see, here's a confusion that we have with Christians today. We, we're supposed to have a biblical worldview. I think for a lot of Christians in America day, today, we just have a worldview that agrees with the Bible. That's huge, family. Did you hear what I just said? We need to have a biblical worldview, but instead I feel like sometimes we just have a worldview that agrees with the Bible. And this is what wisdom will reveal to us. It'll reveal that our, our convictions, some of the convictions that we have, yet they're biblical, but it doesn't come from the Bible. It's just because that's what we think. That's what we believe. This is why a lack of wisdom will get us in trouble. And this is the reason for Paul's lego medis. So that. Wisdom in Christ, found in Christ. You need to be full of wisdom, bound in love, together, all of this stuff under Christ, in Christ, so that, so that what? So that we won't be deceived and not be deceived by well-crafted arguments. Point number two, so that we will not be deceived and not just deceived, but be deceived by well-crafted argument, arguments, persuasive 
speech is what he's saying here. That we won't be deceived by persuasive speech, arguments and ideology that are crafted with the intent to deceive you. So here's the big thing that we've got to get. This is what we've got to understand, and we've got to make sure this penetrates our mind. There are people out there in this world who have crafted, well-crafted arguments and got persuasive speeches with one goal in mind, to deceive us. There are people that are wanting to deceive us. Deception. People wanting to deceive. Sometimes I wonder we're walking around the world and we're doing this stuff and living life and just, I wonder if we think that there are people that are out there that are trying to deceive us. They're trying to get control. They're trying to get control of our minds. They're trying to get control of our bank accounts. They're trying to get a control of a lot of things when it comes to our lives. And they've got to deceive us in order for this to happen. So we fall for the ones that are, we are persuaded by. And this is what's crazy. We fall for it and we don't know that we fell for it. Because if we knew that we fell for it, we wouldn't have fallen for it. That's the idea of deception. So when, people, when I'm saying, hey, yeah, hey, you know what? You're being deceived here. You know what the response is? No, I'm not. Well, of course you're going to say, no, you're not. Because if you believe that you were deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. <laughs> this, is what's, this is the trap. This is where it gets really difficult. We are deceived, and we've fallen into real error, and we don't think we did because we think that we're right. Serious error. So much so. that And, and the error is really bad. Let's use some of the error that we saw here in Colossae. They're denying the Trinity. They're denying the real divinity of Christ. Do you know that if you don't believe that Jesus is God, you're going to hell? Whoa. Well, that, that doesn't go over well with church consultants. If there was a church consultant right now, he'd probably be walking out right now. Yeah. If you deny the Trinity, you deny the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, your soul is in jeopardy. Denial of the Trinity? Oh, I don't know. Are there people doing that? Yeah, they're called Jehovah's Witnesses. They're called Mormons. The list goes on. Do you know that even considered within evangelicalism, in a lot of ways, Pentecostal holiness people are still considered to be evangelicals. Do you know that the Pentecostal holiness actually deny the persons of the... This is how it is. And then so people are like, oh, I didn't know that. I know you didn't know that. You know why? Because these are well-crafted arguments that are with the intention to deceive us. And in that deception, we believe that we're right. So therefore, we don't think we've been deceived. That's the thing about scripture that I love. Breaks us out of the deception. If we're allowing scripture and God to be able to speak to our hearts. Serious error. Deception is real. The deception is super subtle. There, there, there's a, a prominent evangelical church leader. Um, I, was, I was going through Facebook, and I was reading something. So again, something drops into my lap. A prominent evangelical church leader wrote, he said this, I don't know a single successful person that leaves their shopping cart in the middle of the parking lot. And I read that, and I, you know, I chuckled. I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. That's, that's pretty funny. And, I was, and after laughing, I was about to turn the page, and then it hit me. 
Right before I was turned to, you know, just turned to scroll down, I was going to scroll down, and then it hit me. It's funny how subtle this thing is. The message, a single successful person. The point is, obviously, if you want to be a successful person, you're not going to do this, right? That's essentially what he's saying. If you want to be successful, you're not going to do this. But the thing that got me was just how fast and how quick I just assumed being a successful person is what you want. This is how subtle this whole pragmatism, which is a philosophy that comes from atheistic philosophers from Harvard University, where the success thing comes from. Because success is actually ethics. If success is the goal, then no matter what you do, if you gain success, then everything you did was right. Seriously, that's pretty much pragmatism. But that's the goal, success. Because if you do success, and if you're successful, then you're living the fullness of life. It's just all this, all this stuff. And this stuff has crept into the church so much so that we don't even know that we're doing that. Even for me, I really try to be careful with making sure my worldview is biblical. And so all this stuff, even I caught myself just assuming it and about to just laugh and turn the page and be like, yeah, okay, well, I shouldn't leave my shopping cart in the middle of the road, in the parking lot. And then I was scrolling. I went, what? Wait, wait a minute. Wait a, wait a minute. Successful person. The mark of the goal. Person to be successful. Successful person is a goal. The question is, do we want to be a successful person or are we wanting to be a faithful person? See, that's huge. When God looks at me, does he be like, well done, my good and successful servant? Or is it well done, my faithful servant? See, the drive for success is defined by the world. We're defining it, right? It, 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 there it is. It's, it's a given. And, and would we think, see, see, here's the thing. We would think that you were weird. Think about this today. Wouldn't you think that a person is weird or something's wrong with the person if they said they didn't want to be successful? You know, the goal in life. Hey, what's your goal in life? My goal in life is to not be successful. What do you want to do? After college, when you graduate with this degree, I don't know what I want to do. All I know is I don't want to be successful. Wouldn't we think that was weird, right? I mean, remember I gave, I gave the example of American Idol, right? Remember how Ryan, I know this is starting to get dated because it's like the voice now and, you know, uh, America's Got Talent, all this stuff. But anyway, American, American Idol, you know, Lionel Richie, all that stuff, right? So he goes down and he's interviewing people, and right? He's like, why are you here today? Oh, because I'm going to be famous, I'm going to be popular, so popular. I, I'm the next Kelly Clarkson. Don't, don't look no further. I'm the one. Me, me. And go down the list, and, you know, I've been wanting to sing since I was six years old. I've been wanting to sing since I was, you know, negative two years old. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been wanting to sing forever, and just all this stuff, and the goals, the aspirations, all this stuff. Wouldn't we think it was weird, like, if you went up and says, hey, well, why are you here today? Oh, I don't know. I just came to hang out. Well, don't you want to become an American Idol? Not really. I just came here because I just thought it would be fun. You don't want to be successful? No. You don't want to be rich and popular? No. What would people think when we watch this individual? Wouldn't we think he's weird or something's wrong with that person? Oh, that child was definitely beat as a kid. 
There's some serious abuse going on in that person's life. Do you know when I was in the church in Hawaii, there was a man who I, I was talking to him about the church because he was wanting to become a member of the church. And so we're talking to him about the church, and he had a lot of questions for me, and, and you know, he wanted to, you know, he was possibly going to become a member. And, and the whole thing is like, you know, you know, just, you know, that's, that's kind of the motivation, right? It's like, you know, I just feel like every pastor wants to be successful, wants a large church with all the benefits, and I'm not sensing that with you, Shane. Well, and I said my goal as a pastor... Uh, unfortunately for some, <laughs> it's not to be successful, but to be faithful. It's my goal. I just want to be faithful. I want to be faithful to what God has called us as pastors to do. That's the goal. And, and if my faithfulness brings success the way the world defines it, then blessed be the name of the Lord, then it's great. But that's not the goal. And you know what he actually said to me? He said, I don't think I can go to a church where there's a pastor who's not doing whatever it takes to be successful. Seriously. So I, I stopped. I said, okay, let's, just, let's, let's clear something up here. Let's not mix words here. How do you define success, right? Because it could be a, a, a definition thing. How, how are you defining success? And pretty much let's not lie to ourselves, family. He said, big church with lots of people, air conditioning in every room. You know, where you turn, you turn, you go to the bathroom and you turn on the water, not by turning the handle, but, you know, you move your hand like this. And you don't have to do this with the paper towel. You just put your hand like this and then, and you're fresh and it smells like paint. And, you know, just all these, all these things. And that's, that's, and, and you want a pastor that's going to do whatever it takes to get that. And he said, yeah. And I said, yeah, I guess. This probably isn't a good place. But let's not lie to ourselves, family. Let's not lie to ourselves. That's how many of us are defining it. That's how many of us are. This is the big struggle that I've had for years when it came to this. Remember I told you guys that story about the time I was horrified when I was a pastor at a megachurch? A pastor at a megachurch, successful, everything, everything was going good. And we had a big church, thousands of people that go to the church. And, and I'm, I'm right here at Cherry Creek Mall, or whichever way we are. I get turned around. I'm at Cherry Creek Mall. I'm at, you know, I think I'm at Banana Republic or Gap or something like that, shopping for clothes. And a, and a member from the church, a member of the church comes up and says, hey, Pastor Shane, what's going on, man? And he starts telling me about all this stuff and God's doing this, 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 and this and I just want this and my family and my kids are doing this and my kids know you and my kids think that you're the greatest and blah, 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 blah. And you know, my kid, you know, he says the name, all this stuff and says all of this stuff and I'm looking at him and I'm shaking his hand I have absolutely no idea who this person is. Sharing all of this stuff with me, asking me to help, asking me for advice, all of this kind of stuff and he's a member of the church who one day I'm going to be held accountable for, I have absolutely no clue who he is. I can't tell you how bad my heart broke that day. And I remember asking myself, what are we doing this for? This is a child of God. This man is an image bearer of God. And we don't have the capacity to absolutely do what. Give him what he deserves. 
And so I stopped looking at people as numbers on a piece of paper and I started to see them as individuals. Started to see them as individuals. That each and every single person, every member here at Central Baptist Church is absolutely important. Important enough to at least know who you are and at least know your name. And at least if you call up and just say, hey, Pastor Shane, I know with, you know, everything that's going on, you know, we can have a conversation on the telephone. Something. There's, there's a, a friend, uh, there's a friend of uh, Sean's, uh, I won't say who he is, but there's a friend of Sean's came and he said, you know what was really funny? He's like, I'm sitting over here and I'm talking with him and having a conversation with him and I'm going, and, and, and we're talking and all this stuff and he goes, man, Shane, he goes, you know that the church that I go to now, there's no way. I could have a conversation with the pastor of the church. Like I've never had, a, I've been going, he was going there for years. I've never had a conversation with the pastor of the church. How can you not have a conversation and be able to have a conversation with the pastor of a church? Hey, I just wish I could speak to the pastor about this one issue. Oh, well, you can't speak to the pastor about it, but we have one of the lay elders, not saying that they're bad, but I'm just saying that they're, they're there to help but you can't have a conversation with the pastor? Because in our culture today, numbers decide worth. It's just, it's everywhere. Numbers, success, the money, the prestige, all of that stuff determines worth. Yeah, go ahead. It determines worth. But see, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that it's, it's not numbers. It's purity that determines the worth of a church. His goal was not to present a big church to Christ, but to present a pure church who was strong and faithful in Christ. But Shane, you're, you know, you're... You know, that's, that was one of the things that I get to. I get, you know, and I get, I hear that sometimes here, even here. Even here, as, as here, and then some of the, some visitors, sometimes some visitors will come and will say that. Just like, you know, just, I feel bad for you, man. You're just, the, you're a pastor of a dying church. That's what I, that's what I, that's what they say to me. Now, I'm like, I don't think Central's dying. Well, it's obviously dying. It is, it's obviously dying. Y'all look alive to me. But, it, but it's, a, it's a dying church, Shane. Well, why is it dying? And they, they give me the example. They tell me. This is why I think the church is dying. Numbers, you know, activities, you know, uh, things that we have, all that stuff, right? No, there's not a lot. There's not going, a lot, a lot's going on, all this stuff. Let me tell you something that the Bible teaches us about this. What the Bible shares, go check this out. There is a church in the Bible that goes by the name of Sardis. You can read about this in Revelation. Sardis was a church who had a reputation of being alive. Oh yeah. Reputation of being alive. They got lots going on, man. They got there's a lot happening over there. They had a reputation of being alive. And you know what Christ said? You guys have a reputation of being alive, but you guys are dead. You're a dead church. You're not a dying church. You are a dead 
church. But Shane, here we have a large church. History says they were large. They were vibrant. They were growing and they had a lot going on and they were looked well upon by the surrounding community. Man, people were saying that this church has got it going on, but God, he did not say they were dying. He said, you are dead. You are a dead church. You see what I'm saying? It, it, we look at all these things, how the world defines this, and we use that in order for us to determine what's worthy. We did use this stuff to determine worth. Well, a pastor is seen as worth something because he's able to do all this stuff. But a pastor that's not able to do all the stuff that the world would define as being this, we're, we're worthless. Though every single bit of us are just trying to do one thing, and that's to be faithful to our Lord. This is the mentality and the deception that's so well-crafted, so well-done, that we don't even know that we're being deceived. And when you listen to what these pastors are reading, I sit there, and we're, we're eating lunch at, the, at, these, at these committees that we do, and we're eating lunch and, and then, you know, all this stuff, and we're talking and all this stuff, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, they're all curious. They always ask these, these, big, these pastors of these big successful churches, what kind of books are you reading? And I'm telling you guys, I was horrified. I'm absolutely horrified. They're reading books by Peter Drucker, you know, about these business models and business things that they have. They're reading all the psychology today. There's all these ideas as to, you know, uh, giving people what they want, meeting people what they need, how to do this, how to be successful, how to do all this. And they're reading all of these types of things, and I'm, like, feeling like, wait a minute. This last week he read all these books by Peter Drucker, The Purple Cow, you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, I just read a book by R.C. Sproul. I read a John MacArthur book. I read a John Piper book. I read a commentary on the book of Ephesians. Am I, am I missing something here? Is there something wrong with me? Just listening to them. There must be something wrong with me. Because you know why? Because successful people don't leave their cart in the parking lot. So successful pastors read books by Peter Drucker brooks by atheistic philosophers and atheistic psychologists who don't even who aren't even christians and don't even believe in god models and methods and psychology from others who are not even christians what do these people in the world have to tell us about how to lead a faithful and a pure church are we pastors of a church or are we ceos of a business did you know that there was a, a church that I was interviewing for where the, one of the persons actually said, well, we consider the pastor of this church to be the CEO of this church. So should I have gotten an MBA instead of a Masters of Divinity? Did, did I do something wrong here? Wait a minute. Is a church a business or is the church a family? Is it a business or is it a family? Are we being deceived right now? Has deception gotten in so much so that our whole worldview has changed and we don't even know? But these arguments are so good that they would deceive even the elect if it were possible. That's how good they are. Jesus warned us about that. It would deceive even the elect if it were possible. But we know because Christ, he will keep us from being deceived. And we will heed the warnings, and the Lord will make sure of it. And the reason why he will make sure of it is because he gives us the promise. 
The promise that he gives in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. We can have life and life more abundant because of what Christ has done for us. We, by nature, have chosen foolishness and rebellion. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Christ has made a way for us today. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Family, by his wounds, we are healed. And the promises continue that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. There's salvation for us today. Because though there's deception, there's also truth. And we as Christians want to be in the light as he is in the light. In Christ is hidden all the riches of knowledge and wisdom, and he desires to bless us with it today. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.